is It's PR Darlings, a podcast all about the dark arts of public relations, publicity and all things media. So it's news-based lifestyle. So it's not just pretty houses that we happen to stumble across that we like. Everything is um, tied back to a newsy hook. Join us to learn more about the world of PR and how it can help build your business. Everybody is working very, very hard these days. Everyone is stretched and having to come up with creative ways of getting their job done. And that means on my end and your end. And if you're just starting your PR career, then come along for the ride. We're speaking to all kinds of journalists, producers and industry professionals. But you shouldn't really be actually giving any kind of opinion within that story. So when I see that, it it actually really riles me. I'm Greer Quinn from Forward Communications. Yeah, Joe and I are working all all the time with professional uh, photographers and videographers. So you're open um, to that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I'm Joe Stone from Sticks and Stones PR, and together we are your PR darlings. Welcome to It's PR Darlings. I'm Greer Quinn from Forward Communications. And I'm Joe Stone from Sticks and Stones PR. Today's jargon gem is background, as in, let's background them. Or maybe we need to deep background them on that. It's a high-stakes strategy and not one for the faint-hearted. We think it's more one for the seasoned PR professional who's dealing with a very specific type of story rather than a novice, but we want to discuss it with you so you have background on backgrounding. Very true, but no more background on backgrounding until the end of the show. So let's dive straight into today's podcast. During the past 18 months, our homes have become not just places where we live, but also places where we work. And we've all become obsessed with stories about skyrocketing property prices and watching live streamed auctions on a Saturday is now the new reality TV binge. So after a year of belt tightening and closures across media outlets, News Corp came out swinging, launching their new property platform and magazine lift out at home in January. We have the great pleasure of welcoming at-home editor Kelly Baker onto its PR darlings this morning. She's edited and contributed to some of the best-known titles in the country, including Body and Soul, Nine Honey, New Idea and Who Weekly. Congratulations on the new role with at-home Kelly. Can you tell us a little bit more about why News Corp decided this was a new platform that it needed? Um, firstly, hi. Hello. Hi. Um, thank you for that big wrap up. Um, I guess what's happened is, you know, we, we're a very, a country that of people who are very obsessed with travel. We like to travel. Australians are hardcore travellers. We travel a lot more than many people. Uh, we're also a country who are obsessed with real estate So once COVID swept into town, which altered real estate quite dramatically and also prevented us from travelling. So accordingly, it's, it's not that surprising that we would start to get even more involved in our homes and more, um, au fait, I suppose, with real estate marketing markets in general. And, um, News Corp is smart and it's (laughs) big. And it knows what to do when these things occur. And so they saw that straight away. And here we are with at-home flipbook real estate. 
Amazing. And is it anyone in particular that you're targeting? Is there a target audience or is it just homeowners and people interested in in doing things to their house now that we're all here? We're a slightly um, unusual proposition in that we are inserted into the Saturday editions of News Corps. So we're in uh, the Saturday Telegraph, Herald Sun, Adelaide Advertiser, Courier Mail, and we are unusual in that our audience is not used to getting that kind of level of home information on a Saturday. So the audience is slightly different in that we are accruing a new audience. We already have a base audience who is, you know, you're very regular folk. And uh, we are, we've bumped up Saturday quite a lot already. Mm. And that is uh, once we've done the research, the data does show that a lot of that comes from at home. So we're acquiring newer people who perhaps were not with the Telegraph of a Saturday uh, beforehand. Well, they weren't actually. So they may well have been more, um, you know, in a, in a slightly other, oh, like a higher market, a more AB market, I, I would I suppose. I'm not out of line in saying. Yeah. So we are actually targeting um, people who are interested in renovating houses, design, interiors, anything that's related. And we did a lot of research before we launched and um, we, like, our readership that we already had were very, very interested in those areas as well. So, sorry, that's a very long and rambling answer. <laughs> no, 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 it's it. interesting, we, yeah, because it's obviously... It's broadening. Yeah, and it's more lifestyle than it is property, obviously. <laughs> well, because it's a flip book, we have at home on one side and real estate on the other. So the real estate side has all of the hot new properties that are available. We've expanded that to include coast and country as well as the local market. It's done, it's it's tailored to each title. So we have a team on um, in each state and they look after the real estate side. So that has to be localised. And the at-home side, uh, that's like 18 pages, that is national. So that's a, a national publication and what happens is state by state we have a local uh, at-home editor editor Mm -hmm. who um, adds in a couple of local pages and they tend to be related to um, the interiors of developments or say um, project homes, kit homes, display homes and um, department sorry apartments that are coming up. So it's um, the at-home side is um, basically people who are interested in houses and homes and renovating and their experiences. And the real estate side is actual properties for sale. Do you find it a little bit difficult between states, say in Queensland, they might be different because they're looking at renovating old Queenslanders versus more your sort of brick places in Melbourne Mm. or your terraces in Sydney, for example? Not really, because the renovating process is similar even if the structure is different so people enjoy we don't go into a lot of the detail it's not too stylized yeah well it's not too technical Mm. it's more about the experience and the experience is universal you find a place you fall in love with it you decide to buy it you find out that it's flawed in some way that you didn't know about. <laughs> it's or inevitable. That, or that you have terrible neighbours or there's a flight path or there's something 
And then you have to set about making this your dream home. And that's a very um, appealing but universal story. So as a flip book style or magazine style, what's the difference between a magazine style and a flip book style, I guess? A flip book is is not at all related to the style. It is purely the the practical um, makeup of the magazine. And all it means is that one side is when you're holding one side face up, you hit the middle of the book at a certain point and then the pages are reversed. So you flip it over and read from the other side. So that's all a flip book means. It's not um, an indicator of anything on the inside. And I have to admit, I hadn't heard the term before I started in this role, so I just did a lot of nodding and smiling and then left the room (laughs) and found out what it was. But that's okay. We we like asking questions. Yeah, Um, I was like, what the hell are they talking about? (laughs) But it's my job now, so I have to pretend that I know. And then I just went and asked my friends. So. Okay, but that's the beauty of being a journalist. You don't actually have to be an expert in anything other than asking questions and doing the writing, right? Well, that and also having the charm to have people talk to you. Right. Well, you're talking to us, so we must have done something right. Yes, you have. <laughs> so having said that, is at home a little bit less bound then by the daily news cycle if it's a weekly publication? And do you you forward plan it and have a features calendar and all those sorts of things? Yes, we operate like a magazine. So we don't work like like news. News, obviously, you know, you start coming fresh on the day and you do whatever you have to do to make it happen. But at the end of the day, it's done. And then you come back in and you do it all over again. Magazines have a completely different... um, well, they're completely different in every way. You have to be thinking about how this is going to work next week when people may have read about the news angle. You have to work out how they're going. It works as a package, so there's uh, so it flows well, and you turn a page, and it's a story really as a whole package rather than an individual story. News is very individual. The story is a very singular thing and you'll read it all you want, whereas a magazine, you've got 30, 40 pages there, in my case, and uh, you want people to stay with it and you want them to keep it until next week. You want it sitting on the coffee table and it has to be beautiful, it has to be appealing, and it has to also bring information that people have something that they can take away. There has to be a takeaway or a second step, something really practical or a moment where they think, I didn't know that, or they feel something. And the feeling has to be good because you need them to come back again next week. So do you have to forward plan for all of that? Oh, look at me. I didn't even answer the question. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Joe's here. (laughs) Oh, that's right. That was the question. (laughs) Yes, we do. We do forward plan what I like to do is be at least six weeks ahead and that's purely a personal thing. There are magazine editors who operate like newspaper editors and it is painful and a punish to work with them because that is not necessary. So the thing with it is, is what I like to do is have the structure for at least six weeks of actual issues ahead and then if something happens... We can change it. You know, we can do a story on the day. We can do a cover on the day, but I don't want to because I don't have to. So if I can have that all there, it means that my team can go home on time and not have to work in a frantic pace. 
and actually enjoy their lives. And also, of course, as you know, it means that we can um, communicate with advertisers about what we've got coming and what we're planning. And we also have a much broader um, calendar that ticks off bigger topics that we will run right up for maybe six to 12 months so that we can integrate with people. Yeah, so if someone called you and said, can I have your features calendar, you have that ready to go? Yes, I might do. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> if, I might I was, do. <laughs> if I was on top of things. But um, I wouldn't show it. I don't just hand it out to, I certainly wouldn't be giving it to PR people um, only because it's just a, a valuable commodity that we like to keep to ourselves to some mm. degree. Um, I could talk about it. I probably just wouldn't send it out. The other thing with not sending it out is it's likely to change and it's likely to change quite a lot. And then what happens is that other people have whipped up, you know, concepts for you and they no longer fit in at that particular time. It's really more for um, our ad team and our product team to be able to work off and then they can go out and target specific advertisers and they know which issues they can tie them in with. And I would think you'd have good relationships with some PRs that you would then ring and say, we're working on something in a couple of weeks that's around this topic. Can you help me with it? And perhaps they could come. Yeah, look, I would love to be able to do that. I hear that and think, oh, my God, I remember having time to actually make calls like that. So, no, I don't. Really? (laughs) yeah, Yeah, I just don't have the time to actually pick up the phone. I barely can even respond to an email. That's the other big difference these days is that, we're very, very lean teams. Yeah. But I do have very good relationships with PR who I uh, get emails from. And also because I've been in this industry since I was 17, I have a lot of very long-term relationships. So I'm always happy to hear from people and um, I'm always happy to respond to their ideas. It's not often that I can actually let people know that I've got something coming up. Okay. But do you, how do you like to be pitched to then? Email. And, and, and no phone call? No <laughs> phone call. No phone call. <laughs> Everyone says that. Everybody says no, that. Ring me. Actually, <laughs> yeah. I've got an office phone. I don't even know the number. <laughs> wow. So it's not on my signature block. I do know that most people have their numbers on their signature block. I don't. Um, and it's not to be a total jerk. It's not because uh, I don't want to talk to people. And sometimes um, quite a lot of people have my mobile number, I notice, and they're people I don't know. So it must be out there. And um, I'm not offended by people leaving voicemail messages. And I'm not upset if I happen to answer the phone. It's just purely I don't have the time. So if someone leaves me a voicemail message and explains what it is, then I will either come back to you, but I'm likely to say, hey, listen, shoot me an email. Yeah. So it it sounds like you're kind of free of the news cycle, but because you're this magazine format, which requires a lot more thinking and it's such a lean, lean team, that is why you're so busy. Yeah, completely. And I'm not free of the news cycle. I'm actually just, um, I don't have to what my stuff is news based it's news based home related so it's news based lifestyle so it's 
not just pretty houses that we happen to stumble across that we like. Everything is um, tied back to a newsy hook. So we will be discussing how COVID has impacted the way people are building their houses or how um, communities are being developed or why laws have changed in regards to keeping pets in apartments. So there's always a newsy hook. What happens, though, is because I'm working um, several weeks in advance, I have to remember that if it's a news-breaking story, that that news will already be out and that I have to make sure that now I make that news more expansive and still relevant and interesting. So it won't just be the um, the quickfire announcement of the fact that news has changed. Sorry, like the law has changed or um, you know, the home grant, builder's home grant is finishing. I'll actually have to go and find people who can tell me about their own experience of that and then we have to make it um, a much broader project and we have to get pictures that are beautiful. So it's a, a big ask. So when when we do pitch to you, do you want photographs to go with or would you prefer to take your photos yourself? Uh, look, if your photos are to my standard, I'd love it. I'll mm-hmm. definitely take them. So if it's a cover, then um, I'd be very surprised if anybody had co- uh, cover shots that would work. In my five months there, I think we've had maybe two supplied shots, no, three, three covers with supplied shots. And these were um, shot by professional photographers for architects. So, excuse me, they have very specific, beautiful imagery. So, yeah, if if they were what we needed, I'd be delighted. And if they were just for inside, it's still helpful to have some really good shots. Sometimes I've had some PR um, people come to me, pitch story, and then say to me, we'll shoot it for you if you want us to because they know how busy we are and then there's budget factors and they will hire a professional photographer and follow my brief and then, you know, return the shots. So it's... Wow. uh, So you're open um, to that. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I think everybody is working very, very hard these days. Everyone is stretched and having to come up with creative ways of getting their job done and that means on my end and your end and uh, we're all in it together so I have no issue with trying to cook these things up together it's um, just one of those things that I because it's a magazine it has to look a particular way and then I have to make sure that it's it's a certain quality but yeah look if I can get things for free great (laughs) <laughs> I, I do I do like that, that you're willing to collaborate so that we can do the brief together because sometimes there's the PR person, um, which, you know, isn't your concern, but it can be a little bit like guess again, guess again. Do you know what I mean? So if you if you can tell us, absolutely, that is awesome. We'll go oh, yeah. out and do it. And, yeah, Joe and I are working all, all the time with professional uh, photographers and videographers and it definitely brings a story to life when you've got a good picture. Yeah, we just won't do it without it. I mean, it's not because it's not news. Like this is a magazine. If there's not a beautiful picture, no one's going to read your perfect, perfect words. It's just how it how it rolls in magazines. So, yeah, it has to really look good. But yeah, of course, I'd be you know more than happy to to collaborate in any way. 
Um, and this is something that I wanted to ask you. Do you are you still operating through Christmas or do you close? I, I guess this will be the first year that you do it. Yes, this will be my first year in this role, but I have worked at, I spent the last year at News Corp actually working um, as the uh, lifestyle editor as, as well across their prestige titles. So traditionally at News, they shut down for two weeks mm. and I would imagine we would do the same. I hope and we do the same. So so you'll have a Christmas um, special, I assume. And how far out, because I've had people come to me in December saying, I want to try and get into the Christmas, the Christmas gift guides or the Christmas um, lift outs. And it's usually quite late. So how far out from Christmas would you, for instance, like to have those pictures? I would like things in at least six weeks before I'm actually doing the issue. And I'm probably doing the issue six weeks before Christmas. So I'd say to six weeks out. And then within that six weeks preceding, I'd start peppering me with your thoughts and feelings. The other thing I would say to anyone working in PR is I have zero issue with people following me up. I know people get anxious, say they send an email and you don't respond and uh, then they'll follow me up a week later and I still won't respond because I'm just too busy. And then I don't mind if someone comes back to me like in the third week and often I will respond when I get the first email saying it sounds great come back to me in three weeks if I have not responded to you. So Mm -hmm. I will give people the opportunity to say, look, you know, chase me. I might forget this even though I love it. So let me know. And the the thing on the at the other end of the spectrum that I don't really enjoy is if I get an email and then someone will follow me up the next day and say, how are you feeling about that email? And I think not very well yeah, right too now. Too soon. Right, you know, <laughs> now, not very good at all. I do, I do understand so, as well that a lot of these emails come from quite junior people who are getting a smashing in their office as well. Like everyone is trying to make things happen. But I don't like it if someone emails me five times and within five days, and I certainly don't like it if they start to give me attitude. I get emails sometimes saying, could you at least let me know? And I'm like, no, I don't have to let you know. Oh, it's hard. It's, yeah. And I think also if I've not responded, I've let you know. Yeah, I think I think yeah, with spam filters as well. Sometimes the emails. This has happened actually, where it's actually a story that the journalist wants and wants to cover, but the spam filters somehow don't like a particular email address. And so, if you follow it up, they go, "Oh my god, it is actually there. It went to spam for some reason." So yes, and like I say, I really don't mind a follow up, and I don't mind. Even if, you know, it's all about the tone and the way people come back at you and it's not hard to come back and say, look, I'm really sorry to be that person. And quite a few people do that, which I I appreciate. I know that they're in a hard place themselves, but I just don't have the time to respond to absolutely everyone. It's just not going to happen these Mm. days, unfortunately. So you're um, noting your pet pet peeves are... um harassment but spread out over a couple of weeks <laughs> well, no, um, actually, I like it over a few weeks yeah. I don't like it in five days so longer term harassment is, yeah, is probably I'm better okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's good is there anything else that um PR do in this space in this lifestyle kind of space that really gets you goat is there uh, you know is it sending pictures that you can't open do you prefer a drop box like what's the pet peeves for you Oh, look, these days um, I, I'm 
pretty tech savvy. I don't mind any of those things. I wouldn't like it if I couldn't open them. Sometimes people email email me and say, hi, Alison, and I think that's not a good start. So <laughs> I know when, you know, it, and at least get my name right and also um, know what I do. I get an enormous amount of emails with from PR people that are entirely irrelevant to my field. And that is, is because I've worked in a lot of places in a lot of different areas, so they're thinking that I still work in that particular space, which I understand, and I'm sure it's the same at their end, that they're too, like I'm too busy to open emails, they're too busy to find out exactly who people are and where they're working these days. But that isn't going to get you anywhere. You're wasting your time because you're pitching stories to me that would have been really appropriate for a place I worked in two years ago but are not related to homes. So when I see that, all I think is, gosh, people's money is being wasted and time is being wasted. Yeah, it's so, keeping up to date. It's keeping your databases up to date or subscribing yes, to some yes. of the and larger database places. Old ones or somebody else's contact list from five years ago. And, you know, I get invites very, very regularly for beauty. You know, I was the beauty director at Women's Weekly for a very long time. And I still get a lot of email um, propositions that are skincare and beauty related, mm. which I, when I get those, I just delete them. And that I do think, you know, that's a shame for whoever sent it because they're investing in the wrong people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there space um, for paid marketing or PR opportunities at, in, at home? So do you have integrations that you could do? We do. Yeah, we do. Um, it doesn't come directly through me, of course, because I'm editorial. So that would be um, handed over to somebody who um, either my direct boss or uh, someone in marketing or the ad team, and then um, it would be worked out that way. I'd be involved in the conversation. The other thing for me, of course, is it's a, a natural thing for me to do to just end up working in the people who advertise with us. I'll just, they're at the front of my mind because I see their products. But, um, yeah, there is paid opportunities. Mm -hmm. And do you think there'll come a time, because I know there is quite a strong digital focus anyway, but do you think there'll come a time when everything is digital or do you think people always want a hard copy to lie in bed with? I do. I don't think that we'll ever get rid of print. And um, I think it will wax and wane just as it is currently. And um, digital, because I've, I've worked extensively in digital as well, like digital only. When I was at nine, I was an editor at Nine Honey for a long time too. And um, the thing with digital that people, some people have not worked out in this industry is that it's a completely different proposition. So... When we first got digital, we basically lifted the pages of print and just plonked them onto the internet. Mm. And that's just not how it works. So I feel like they dovetail really nicely together. You have a print product, you have online presence, and the audience is generally quite different and you have slight crossover. But people online are looking for completely different things to what they're looking for in print. So I feel like there'll be a big swing back to print, but it could take quite a while. Yeah, a bit like people going back to records, they become a bit old old school cred. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, All your plans 
on the inside, like yeah. millennials with the inside plants. And see, when I was growing up, you would, you know, be like, oh, only your mother had a plant inside. Oh, now yeah. there are thousands of dollars totally, worth of plants in every house. Yeah, totally different ballgame. But yes, yeah. those sort of things. And niche, I mean, niche print is still going very well. So it, it's just the big mainstream, the broader topics that didn't fly so well in print because you can get that information online. Yeah, and I have to say with the lift outs, I'm a sucker for the lift outs on the weekend if oh, you're I at a shopping shop and I'm, yeah, I'm like, too. you take the paper, I'll take the lift out. Um, pretty much every paper, that's how I operate on the weekends. Yeah. It's a different mindset too on the weekends. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, while it was drilled into us at uni that as journalists we're meant to be objective, I guess being in a little bit of the magazine space, you can you can be a bit subjective, but it seems that today's audiences really want to consume more commentary. Would you say that's true? Yes, absolutely. And also let me jump you back just for one sec. Magazines aren't and sh- well, shouldn't be specifically mm. objective. They should be creative. Mm-hmm. But the facts are the facts and you shouldn't be bringing your own thoughts and feelings to a story. You should actually be reporting a story and even in lifestyle, what you're doing is taking people on a bit of a journey and giving some, I suppose, insight that you might not have otherwise, but you shouldn't really be actually giving any kind of opinion within that story. So when I see that, it I, it actually really riles me. So... Yeah, people currently really into opinion and commentary and I think that's because most of the opinion and commentary we're getting right now is very angry, inflammatory kind of stuff and we seem to be having an angry, inflammatory kind of period of life. So Mm -hmm. that kind of, those sorts of feelings seem popular. What what. I think for me, what disturbs me the most with that is that people, the audience members or the readers, the consumers of this, I guess, angry commentary, as you call it, don't actually realise that it's not news. Oh, you make me sound bad when you say angry commentary. Yeah. <laughs> That's not what I called it. I mean, okay, I, sorry. Sorry. No, I, I totally did. <laughs> let's, let's pretend I didn't. Okay. I, I think that what the reason for that, what you're talking about, mm. is that we have now got an enormous amount of untrained journalists, properly trained, you know, you know, not fully trained journalists, and uh, the teams are so lean, there's no little mentoring and very few subs and not a lot of time. So what you're seeing is news stories with commentary within it. So you will have... Um, say a crime story and it will say the horrifying incident now it's not up to you to call it horrifying it's just it's a car crash or somebody stabbed another person that's horrifying in itself but the readers know that they don't need to decide from you that it's horrifying because that's commentary so it's all become interwoven so you have a lot of you know the shocking incident and the terrible man and I'm like you can't call him a terrible man like he's not a terrible man he's a person who did this thing and that's your job is to identify the person who did the thing and explain what happened not to put in there that you feel he's horrible so then when there's a commentary about it that opinion piece can say I think he's horrible and here's my byline and I'm giving you my opinion. But the reason why, my, I think, 
that people don't recognise opinion pieces is because general news is becoming opinion-based. So it's just a lot of, I see it every day where I read something and there's some opinion interwoven into the news story. Yeah, I'm, I'm noticing the same thing and I, I'm interested that you're saying that as well because I, I just wondered if it was just me observing that. Um, there's also increased pressure for journalists to be active on social media. There's increased pressure for journalists, period, and mm. probably for everyone. But, yeah, it's, uh, you've got to be everywhere. Yeah, and as you know, we do follow you on Twitter and I remember you saying earlier in the year when you took on this role with At Home, it was actually the thing that stood out for me and maybe something that I could relate to myself. Um, but you mentioned something about a boss who you really respected yes, as a human and as a professional. How important is it to have good mentors and leaders in newsrooms? Look, uh, I'll tell you an, as an example, two days ago I emailed my former chief of staff from when I was 17. So I'm 50 and I emailed him to say, and I've done so before, just, you know, wanting to say hello and again how grateful I am that you taught Aww. me and the people that I work with, you know, my the few friends I have from back then, we still talk about this particular man and we'll still see mistakes and things we think are wrong and be like, oh, man, it's a good thing he didn't see that because <laughs> he, uh, he was so brutal. He used to make us cry quite regularly. We were very young and very stupid, I dare say, but I have never forgotten the things that he taught us and um, he, I think, was perhaps a bit heavy-handed but he was tremendous. But we grew up in old school newsrooms. So at the time, that kind of behaviour was pretty standard. There's so, a brutality to it. Oh, it was, yeah, you've no idea. I'm actually we're, the same vintage. Journalists. Yeah. But this was, um, you know, very late 80s, very early 90s. Mm. People were still smoking over there. Some, some typewriter. In the newsroom. <laughs> yeah. Like we're not talking. We had no internet. We didn't even have email. It was a pretty mad kind of time it was very old school and I've worked with people since who um, were just as vicious but not as kind so I think mm -hmm. it's really important to have high standards and to be expecting a lot from your team but there has to be some understanding and compassion worked in there as well and the woman who I mentioned on Twitter, who is Evie White. She's my direct boss. She's the national real estate editor. And then also I work quite closely with Kathy Lapari, who is the head of News 360. They're both the same age as me. They're both incredibly skilled, but they're decent as well. So I feel like that just makes such a big difference. And, and I really... And both women too. Yeah, I was just going to say, and I really mm. enjoy that we're a neat little trio of women. So it's unusual in this business to be in in the area we're in and have that kind of, um, that sort of old school kindness, which I, I like, but at the same time telling you to lift your game. So it's like, it's good. It's a good combination. There's a section in your magazine called At Home With 
where yep. you have people you show them around, which I really love. I love getting a sneak peek at everyone's trinkets. Um, and so who, if you had a chance to do that with anybody, who do you think you would like to do it with? I really love real people. So even though, of course, there are fascinating um, people who are in particular roles or well-known, if I had my way, which I, I won't, but if I had my way, I actually would really like this. A couple say I have a neighbour who on, lives on my street and she's lived here for 40 years and she's 70-something. I'm more interested in people like that. I'm like, what have you got in here? Yes. And, you know, the local butcher and um, mm. you know, people who seem to have some kind of quirky interest about them. I find regular folk a lot more kind of fascinating because they – aren't necessarily moneyed up and they tend to have items that they've had for a long time and are really truly meaningful. So I don't mean to suggest that anybody who has any kind of celebrity doesn't also have that, but that's where I lean. I do actually get that. I've um, found myself from a garage sale becoming so uh, interested in what the person has <laughs> for sale that I've ended up inside the house and making offers. Yeah, and <laughs> so I really get what you're saying there. Yeah, it's fascinating. People's stories really fascinate me. Listen, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Congratulations on At Home. It's a wonderful edition. Yeah, um, yeah and we're really excited to see where you take it from here and um, how that evolves as, you know, we get back to normal life. So thank yeah, you for all awesome. your great tips too. We really thank appreciate you. that. If you've ever done any form of media training, you may have been told never to say anything to a journo that you don't want to see in the paper or on the TV. And this is great advice, especially for those engaging with media for the first time. But it's simplistic advice that doesn't take into account the complexity of media relations. A technique, and not one to use lightly, is backgrounding. On background means the reporter can use the information you're providing, but they can't name or quote you directly. It's different to off-the-record material, which can't be referenced nor indirectly quoted. Australian journalist Jonathan Swan has in fact done an entire podcast based on deep background for the US news outlet Axios. It's called How It Happened. And he obtained the background via the former staffers of the US President Donald Trump. So press secretaries, publicists, PR consultants and all the other names our roles are referred to need to uphold integrity when backgrounding journalists. Even though our source is not going on record, we still need to be truthful as feeding false or misleading information jeopardises the journalist's integrity but also your relationship with the journalist. An example of when backgrounding may be appropriate could be during an instance when it's possible someone else may be holding the mic within the media and pushing their own agenda without perhaps telling the full story. It might not be in your client or your organisation's best interest to publicly call them out, but by backgrounding journalists, you can at least encourage journalists to ask deeper questions or investigate elsewhere rather than taking something on face value. And that does happen a lot when we chat in the background. But going on background can be a useful way to provide a reporter with information that helps build a more three-dimensional view of an issue, particularly when another party is publicly offering a narrow view of an issue. 
Backgrounding can be a high-risk tactic that can easily backfire. You should only use this technique when you feel you have a really strong rapport with the journalist. If you or your organisation ends up being referenced, it could be damaging. So you need to be very explicit when backgrounding. If you're combining backgrounding with material on the record, you need to clearly bookend which parts are out of bounds. Also, don't say something super interesting and then afterwards say, oh, that was backgrounding. (laughs) That's incredibly frustrating for a reporter. And you need to keep in mind, even if you do trust the journalist and clearly state that the information is for background only, there's still that possibility that you may be outed as the source and you have to consider whether you are willing to shoulder that risk. So even if you're not, it may be obvious who the source is. So don't go on background if you don't want your name put to it. To ensure there's a clear delineation between backgrounding and on the record, it's better that the backgrounding is handled exclusively by the PR specialist and the on the record stuff is done by the spokesperson you're putting up. And another way that backgrounding can be of benefit, particularly if information you shared leads to the journalist uncovering a scoop or a really great story, is that the journalist will remember that you helped them. The relationship between the communications professional and the journalist needs to be mutually beneficial, not just transactional. It's nice to contact a journalist every now and again, not just to pitch, but also to give them something back. So PRs, by virtue of the work we do, are biased because we're advocating for our clients or organisations and pushing their key messages. This bias is assumed and therefore transparent to the journalist. However, it's still vital that PRs respect the journalist's independence and the journalism code of ethics. Backrouting to spread rumours or misinformation is never okay. So there you go. If you've been hearing the term backgrounding used in the media, that's what it means. It's a great tool, but not one to misuse. Thanks so much for tuning into our industry podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please share, subscribe and review. You've been listening to It's PR Darlings. PR Darlings.